This is the Ellis Martin Report. When you hear us mention companies doing any kind of business, there's a large probability, if not a certainty, that the Ellis Martin Report is compensated for that mention. We're telling you this so you can make your own independent evaluation of these opportunities. And now, here's Ellis Martin. David Erfley is the founder of JuniorMiningJunkie.com. He's a self-taught mining sector investor. He stumbled upon mining in 2003 as he was looking to invest into a growing sector of the market. After researching the gains made from the 2001 bottom in the tiny gold and silver sector, he became fascinated with this niche market. So much so that in 2005, he decided to sell his home and invest the entire proceeds from the sale into junior mining companies. When his account had tripled by September 2007, he decided to quit his job as the telecommunications equipment buyer at UCLA and make investing in this sector his full-time job. He personally survived two bear markets, witnessed incredible sector changes, and had to alter his investment philosophy numerous times in order to adapt to changing market conditions. David is a regular contributing editor to Kitco.com and has come to visit me along with his family at the outdoor studios of the Ellis Mart Report here in Malibu. Hey, David, thanks for coming out to Malibu today. Really glad to see you here. Finally, in the same state, in the same county, in the same place. (laughs) We've known each other for years, and we've never been in California together. Great to finally be here, Elsa. Really appreciate you having me and my family out here. This is phenomenal. It's a beautiful day. You've got a seven-year-old son, and I have a six-year-old grandson who's here with his mother and his older sister. And bringing your son along, there's a lot of quiet stable activity in the house they're playing with toys and i'm very happy and thank goodness they get along thank goodness they do get along david we've known each other for a while but what i'm most curious about is how you wound up in this business of talking about gold and rocks and stocks it's a long and winding road i used to work at ucla the university i purchased all the phones and the phone equipment for the university i came in and i also maintained the inventory system and the inventory of all the communications equipment so i came in and I streamlined the system where I only had to work a few hours a day. So I had all this time on my hands and I was watching all my buddies get rich in the stock market during the dot-com days. And I thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. So I had some savings and started buying tech stocks and watch them go up. And this was toward the end of the bubble. And then all of a sudden I'd lost half my money. So that's what I recommend people to do if they want to make a living in this business of investing is lose a lot of money first, because that's when you're going to learn all the lessons you need to to learn down the line to make a lot of money later. Like I said, I lost a bunch of money and I said to myself, well, if I'm going to do this seriously, I better start doing some research. And I came upon Richard Russell's Dow Theory Letters. It just changed my way of looking at the world, changed my way of looking at investing, and he led me to this sector. I really, really got into it. From 2003 to 2005, I had all this time on my hands at work, so I basically got paid to give myself an education in this sector. And for two years, I was doing well buying Penny Junior Mining Stocks, Exploration Development Companies. And around at the same time, I was restoring an old home in Pasadena, an old English cottage home in Pasadena, doing all the work myself. At this point, the real estate bubble was really blowing up. So I was just about finished with my house and I'd watched what I paid for it and what I could get for it just go exponentially higher. 2005, 2006? 2005. And at 2005, for two years, the GDX was building this base as the, the gold price was hanging around $400. It was building this base. And meanwhile, I had all this equity in my home that had built up. I'd done all these improvements. I paid 290000 for the house and I sold it for 700000 six years later. And I put all the money 
into juniors. I don't recommend you doing this at home, but no, you can't do that. <laughs> You're the guy who did it, and I'm it worked the guy out. Who did that. Anybody else would have like crashed and burned. Yeah, and I tripled my money in. Well, like where did you live? Months. I took all my stuff and sold most of it and got a loft in downtown LA. Wow. And rented a loft for a while, and and you um, tripled your money. You said, and I tripled my money in two years. And by the way, when I sold the house. All the money I made was tax-free because Bush just passed a law that if you sold your permanent residence that you were living in for three years, you wouldn't pay taxes on your capital gains. So all that money that I made was tax-free. So I was able to put it all into juniors. And then you rented a loft downtown. And then I rented a loft downtown and said to myself, you know, this is boring. My job is boring. I don't need to have it anymore. I'm just basically the job is paying my taxes. So I quit my job, put all my things in storage, and moved to Buenos Aires for a couple of years. Traveled all around South Why America Argentina? for a couple of years because I had friends there. It was dirt cheap. I got a place in Plaza Serrano in Buenos Aires. It's a cool little bohemian area. I just traveled all around South America on buses, stayed in hostels. It's funny, we were talking about what we were doing during the crash about a half an hour ago. In March of 2009, when the S&P hit 666, I was in Ushuaia, which is the bottom of the world. It's the southernmost city in the world. And the port in Ushuaia is this busy port. Right. There wasn't one ship in the harbor, and all the containers were stacked up on the docks. And I said to myself, if this isn't a bottom, I don't know what is. I had already gotten started to get back into mining stocks in late 2008, and I just went all in. Again. Again. And I did really, really well into 2011. And I just continued to travel. Through, yeah, I conti- yeah, I continued to travel for five years. I didn't have a home. I had my things in storage for five years. I started to travel. After I came back from Argentina, I started to travel around Southeast Asia. And I met my wife in Bali. And she's Russian and she's from Latvia. You were just hanging out in Bali, mm-hmm. enjoying yourself. Like enjoying myself. Do. I've been there. And your wife was on vacation. A yep. woman was on vacation who later became your wife. Right. Exactly. And we lived in London for a year while the Olympics were going on in 2012. And uh, the sector was blowing off. I started to get out. Did you get out totally before 2013? Oh, of course 2014? not. Of course not. I got enough out to where I was able to ride out the bear market and do some shorting and do okay until 2016 when it started up again. Are you shorting anybody now in the market? No. Uh, no. That's my guess. No. With, with, <laughs> with the Fed's balance sheet moving towards $10 trillion, I don't think it's a good idea to short anything. <laughs> when did you stop shorting stocks? <laughs> Into 2015. Oh, so it's been a while. Yeah. It wasn't particular stocks I was shorting. I was using the ETF shorts. Oh, interesting. Okay. And you've been in other professions. You ran bars for a while here in LA? Had a club that I ran in a very famous bar called Bordner's in Hollywood. I did that for a while. I've done a few different things, but the last real job I had was that job at UCLA. So now I've started my own business. I've started Junior Minor Junkie in April of 2017. That's doing really well, and I'm teaching people to do what I do. Give us a free bit of advice here. The first thing you can do when you're looking at gold right now. People are hearing gold for the first time. I should buy gold. I should buy gold. So I'm getting calls and inquiries from friends, from people I know, Mm -hmm. from acquaintances, from people I'm meeting that learn I'm in supposedly the gold business, which is not exactly true. I'm in media. I'm a journalist. I'm in radio. It's not untrue. It's just not totally true. And they'll ask you, what should I buy? And I'll say, well, first of all, I really can't tell you what to buy. You've got to do your own research and make your own decision. But I'm going to ask you that question because really they're thinking about collecting actual gold, putting it in their safe, or leaving it somewhere else in storage. But that's not really where you might find the 5, the 10, the 20 banger. 
that are happening now? Yes, it's definitely in the juniors because the junior sector has basically been in a bear market for eight years. I know we had that little pop in 2016 where the GDX went up 160%. That was basically a short covering move that got overheated. And the juniors, even though they participated, most of them came off and most of them actually sold down lower than they were before that started. So basically, junior speculators and investors have been trading amongst themselves for the past eight years. There's been no retail in this sector at all. Because the retail and the lightweight gold bugs got burned very badly. Exactly. I mean, the GDX went down 85% in four years. That's ridiculously nasty. That got everybody out of the pool. (laughs) Do you think those people are back? I think they're starting to come back now. So what's driving the market now? Is it all new people? No, no, it's not all new people, but once the GDXJ broke out of its seven-year base, I mean, I know the GDXJ says J, and it's supposed to mean juniors, but there are really no juniors in the GDXJ. It's mostly mid-tiers smattered with some seniors, but it's still a barometer for the junior sector to the retail newbie. So once that broke out, and silver also coincided by breaking out of a seven-year base. So yeah, once the GDXJ broke out of its base and the silver broke out of its seven-year base at the same time, this is is the higher risks, more speculative area of the market that was breaking out. And this is what started to bring in more retail into the sector. See, when your big retail first started to get into the sector was when the GDX broke out, they got into some major miners, they got into ETFs, they got into GLD. They didn't start participating in the juniors yet. But once that GDXJ broke out and silver broke out, that's when the juniors started to move. And at the same time, that's when the capital markets opened up. So all these juniors juniors have been getting funded now. We've seen in Q2 of 2020, you saw 1.5 billion come into the juniors. And last year at this time, it was only half that. We haven't had that much money come into this sector, 1.5 billion. We haven't had that much money come into the sector since Q1 of 2012, which was the end of the last bull market. So the last time when we had all that money come in, it was the top. This time it's the bottom. So how much more could come in? I think there's a lot more money that could come in here. We still haven't seen M&A heat up yet. I think we're going to start to see M&A heat up toward the end of the year. Because now gold's in blue sky territory. Every single person who's ever bought an ounce of gold is in the money. While we've got everything bullish for the metals going on around us. I mean, I could go on ad nauseum about how many bullish factors there are behind gold and now silver. I mean, what's going on with all these central banks creating all this capital, with all these economies being shut down, with massive amounts of people losing faith in not only governments, but in central banks and their currencies. And we've got an election coming up here that is going to be the most heated and debated election in quite some time. Whoever actually wins the election, I don't think the other side... You put air quotes around that, folks. Yeah. I put air quotes around it. And whoever actually wins it, I don't think the other side is going to accept it. And either the Democrats or the Republicans might not accept it either. It might have to be decided in the federal courts because of all this talk about manipulation and voter fraud and people losing ballots in the mail and Democrats letting people vote without ID and all this stuff. It's all getting factored into the gold price now in blue sky territory as finally joining all these other major currencies that had already broken out into all-time highs. So people are losing faith in governments. People are 
losing faith in currencies. The Federal Reserve has gone down modern monetary theory road. The Democrats can take power. They're going to create even more capital. This debt road is running out of pavement very quickly. We can't continue to borrow exponentially. So gold is factoring in all this. And now you have silver, which is a perfect storm for silver because it's a lot cheaper than gold. And it is a monetary metal as well as an industrial metal. And you've got the silver supply crunch because of these mines that were shut down because of COVID. More than half the silver that's mined is mined as a byproduct of something else. So at the same time that the physical market has taken off, you've got the supply market is having problems keeping enough supply. So all this is factoring into what's going on, which is what is now the hottest sector on the planet. But the juniors are still the last deep value sector play on the planet. Everything else has been blown up into bubbles, while juniors are still deep value, even though the gold price is making all-time highs. There's a lot of things that you just mentioned that I have to pick one one response to all of that. And you mentioned silver and how it's mm-hmm. breaking out and how the crunch is really on and it's an industrial metal and we are going to see a rejigging of infrastructure all over the world now as we should and I think that's a good place to place money instead of just giving everybody money put people to work and infrastructure is a great place to start I imagine there will be some sort of FDR New Deal related to infrastructure. Trump's talking hopefully, about it. Yeah. Hopefully. Trump mm-hmm. should have done it four years ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did, but I'm not aware of it. The highways <laughs> in this country are still awful compared to Spain, compared to a lot of Europe. I mean, infrastructure's not here, and that's a great place for base metals and a precious metal like silver with industrial uses. So given the choice of juniors available right now, are you just looking at management and the assets and the capitalization before you invest, or does the metal matter with regard to silver or gold? Silver and gold both. And in silver, you've got the combination of silver going up higher percentage-wise than gold during bull markets with the combination of not being that many juniors to choose from. There's a lot less silver juniors to choose from, and there's a lot less quality silver juniors to choose from from the silver juniors. So during the last bull market, my two best winners were silver stocks. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again during this bull market, but I do have more gold stocks simply because there's more quality in gold stocks than there is in junior silver stocks. What's your methodology for picking a stock? Are you looking or are you being approached or is part of your job doing research every day? Research, research, research. With these lockdowns and not being able to travel and go to these conferences and talk to these management teams in person, look them in the eye, have conversations with them you know, across a table. It's not the same as talking to them on Zoom or talking to them on the phone. I just do as much research as I can on a company before I purchase it. The way my newsletter works is I'm completely transparent, Ellis. I mean, everything I do is telegraphed to my subscribers before I do it. And all the companies that I talk about, that I recommend, I invest my own capital in. And before I invest my own capital, I send them out a detailed report on the company the day before I buy it. So it's kind of like we're all in this together newsletter where we all get in at the same time. And it's also a a teaching service where I control a million dollar portfolio and people see how I control that portfolio. They see what I buy, when I buy it, when I sell it, how much I made, how much I lost. All my trades are detailed on a PDF file and updated every week and sent out to my subscribers. So if you're really stepping into this business, you gave us a snippet of how much money, well, you didn't tell us how much money you lost, but you said you lost a lot of money before you started making money. Oh, yes. And you said that's a great way to learn. I don't think it's such a great way to learn right now because who wants to lose money? I'm not disagreeing with you. (laughs) I've done it. 
Okay, I've done exactly that. It hurts. Quite often, I'll buy a stock in that same day or the next day. It's just going to mm-hmm. take a dump. It just happens. Probably happens less with you than it does with me, but it, it, no, it, it happens it to me too. Happen. <laughs> there you go. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. And most people really don't want to lose, but everybody's piling into the sector right now. And for a while, all boats will float. You can buy a bad company and be okay for a while and even make mm-hmm. money. That's sort of a trading strategy that's kind of long-term. Like instead of trading it every day or trading it every week or trading it every month or so, I can hold on to this stock and maybe in six months get out. And mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting to our audience that that's a strategy. I'm merely saying there's so many different ways to make money and that's what we want to do. Absolutely. And loyalty mm-hmm. factors into it. We've all met many of the people that we deal with. They're our friends. But actually investing in that company, that takes more research than actually liking somebody. You can have a drink right. with somebody and never do business with them. And everything's fine. Mm-hmm. So how would you address those newcomers right now that I'm saying should not just throw money away before they make a smart decision? Yeah, I mean, these are great points. I mean, especially right now, you want to make sure that you get into something that you feel comfortable holding for the next few years. Because now we're in a buy and hold bull market for the first time in eight years. Well, actually 10 years. So you want to make sure that you're holding the right company. I mean, sure, when there's a strong wind, all the, the turkeys fly. You can make money in turkeys, absolutely, but you want to make sure that you're holding the best companies. And to do that, you got to do a lot of research. And also to remember to take some money off the table as they're going up. You want to hold your core positions for the next few years, but you want to trim a little bit on the way up. I, mean, I have my own personal rules. Like One of them is if a company gets larger than 10% of my portfolio, I'll automatically take some profit. I'll take some off the table. doesn't matter where it is in the cycle or where it is in the, that particular move up. I'll just go ahead and take it. Are you I'll, doing that already? Because certainly yes. it's happened. Yeah, I did it with a company just last week. If, where if, are you parking that money? Back um, into the market? Back into the market. But I also have another rule that all my capital gains are taken off the table by the end of the year. All of my realized capital gains. My unrealized capital gains, I'm going to let run for a while, depending on where we are in the the company and in the cycle. But my realized capital gains, I always take off the table by the end of the year. By taking off the table, what are you doing them? You're reinvesting them? No, I put it in my bank account. And if I do reinvest it, it, I'm claiming it. That's mine. I worked hard for that. I'm keeping it. You're not reinvesting it. You're not reinvesting it. No, I'm not. If I do consider reinvesting it, I might reinvest it into something else besides the stock market. (laughs) Because <laughs> these are gains I made from the stock market that I worked really hard for, and I want to keep them. I understand. So, so this is my third rodeo here, as far as a major bull up leg is concerned, and I learned a lot of lessons in the last two. And risk management is the biggest lesson, and to basically make your own rules and stick by them as you're going through this next up cycle. So you got a choice between a company that is a 15 cent or a 20 cent stock or a 30 cent stock right now that you see may approach two or three dollars within a certain amount of time without making any predictions. And then maybe there's an up and coming royalty company that the risk is just really not even there. What are you going to do? At this particular juncture of the cycle, I'm not investing in royalty companies. Why not? Well, because the lower the risk, the lower the gain. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) I've rotated money out of my royalty plays over the past two months. Oh, so recently? Yeah. Because they've really done well. Right. And And those were the first things I got into when the market had that false move in March. Mm -hmm. You see, 
The gold sector is famous for having false moves before the big move. And that's exactly what happened in 2008, and it's exactly what happened again here in March of, of, of this year. You get that false move. Everybody's waiting, right? We almost had a breakout of the GDX. And what happened? This COVID thing comes along, and the government response is to shut everything down. And anything that doesn't make any money, anything that's capital intensive that needs capital, is thrown out the window. And juniors fit that bill. They just munch capital. They don't throw it off. So anything that didn't throw off any cash flow was sold with abandon. And once that took place, it got everybody out of the boat. There was nobody left to sell in mid-March. Do you think the millennials are going to flock into the sector now because maybe everything else is dead, including Bitcoin? Well, I think they've already started. I think they've already started. You know, they're all getting Robinhood accounts. They're opening them up with their stimulus checks and they're about to get another one. And they've discovered this sector. You know, and it doesn't take much. free money is going to make the money. Right. It doesn't take much. I mean, if you put all the mining stocks together in one market cap, it's like billion. That's it. It's dinky. It's tiny. What, Apple went up how much in one day the other day? I mean, exponentially more than that. So, Are the mining stocks going to replace the tech stocks for a while with regard to being a big flavor? I think eventually they will. When? Well, I think we've already started to have this move. We've started to get the retail back in in a big way. And I think once the the market feels comfortable that $2,000 is a floor rather than a ceiling, we haven't tested it yet. So it just keeps going up by getting more and more long-term technically overbought. So the, the higher it goes without correcting, the sharper that correction is going to be when it happens. This move started when gold made a quarterly close above 1800. See, 1800 was the line in the sand on a quarterly basis. You know, we ran up to 1920 in 2011, but it ran up to 1800 after it moved off that blow off top. It moved up to 1800 a few times and tested it. So that was a very strong ceiling. And now it's becoming a floor. Is 1800 the new $1,000, $1,100 bottom that we used to have? Yes, it is. Technically, yes, it is. 1800 We won't see anything below 1800 ever again. I don't want to say that because it's gone up so far without a correction. I think there's really strong support at 1750 to 1800. What kind of correction could there be? Granted, there's probably corrections every day, but what turnaround could there be? What magic could happen that could kill the gold market right now? I wouldn't say killing the gold market. It's just something that somebody doesn't expect coming out of left field. Like everything's just going to magically be okay and the economy's fine and industry's <laughs> back and, and gold makes no sense again. Well, to tell you the truth, I'd like to see gold correct here. Is I don't any? want to see it blow off too soon. Oh, do you think we're in parabolic territory? I think we are. I think mm. there's a very good chance. I'm not predicting this. We else. haven't been for a while. Yeah, I know. But I think there's a very good chance, though I'm not predicting this, I think there's a very good chance that gold can run to its inflation adjusted high. By the end of the year, 2800. I read your last newsletter. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) By the end of the year. Ellis does his homework. Somewhat. (laughs) (laughs) By the end of the year, you think 28 is a possibility. Is it a ceiling or a floor? I think it's a place to correct. Okay. I think it's a place to correct. And And what's happening right now is is a short squeeze. It's a classic short squeeze. And it's a short squeeze of Mm. commercials. Once gold made a weekly close above 1750, the swap dealers started to get squeezed. These commercial banks started to get squeezed. So this is a commercial short squeeze. I don't know if you're familiar with the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, but they've been the GATA. Yeah, they've, I, they've been shouting from the Murphy, rooftops right, for, yeah, for decades now. That there's going to be a commercial signal failure. Well, what's happening right now is a commercial short squeeze, So, which could be the fuel to take it to that 2800 price. So Bill Murphy and Jim Sinclair are finally right. Because <laughs> <laughs> 
I was chatting with those guys 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and they were talking about all these factors that are now in place, but they weren't then. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I think goals signaled this economic crash before it happened. I want to ask you if you think the, the market is psychic like that. I think it happened. It happened in 2008. Yeah. It definitely happened in 2008. As far as the stock market crashing, that's what you're... No, I'm talking about gold itself. Oh, gold itself. The price of gold and some of the stocks associated with it. We had the so-called Trump bump that we were all asked about in 2016 as commentators like you and I are, primarily you. And why is gold doing so well? Mm-hmm. And my mindset at that time was it was a sigh of relief. Let's do business. Let's invest in gold. But that wasn't it, was it? It was the nervousness that happened when Trump became president because nobody knew he was going to do. And that, in fact, drove gold up at that time in end of 2016, 2017, which could happen again at the end of this year, only in greater detail. That's the main driver, Ellis, is lack of faith in government, lack of faith in currencies. We're having both of those things right now. So when you have that, that's the biggest driver. It's not inflation. It's not deflation. It's the lack of faith in government and in central banks and their currencies. I see nothing but opportunity for the Chinese and the Russians. And you are welcome to comment on this. I know they've been hoarding gold for quite a long time Mm -hmm. in preparation probably for something like this. And I think that when the market took the huge dip that it did at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of this pandemic back in March, they somehow through their proxies, conspiracy theory, I don't know what I'm saying here. I mean, I do. But (laughs) did they just come in and just buy up everything cheap and just drive it up again, including gold? Are they in the market? I touched upon this in my weekly column in Kitco last week about digital currencies. I don't know if you're aware that the Chinese have ramped up their rollout of the e remimbi the digital remimbi And they've rolled it out into four major cities this week. And they're going to use it at the Beijing Olympics in 2022. And incidentally, when you saw Bitcoin take that hit, I think it had something to do with that. Because if these countries have their currency, I mean, China's set up to be the first major economy to go digital. Euro's talking about it. They're going to eventually do it. So in the USA, you know, all this COVID fear of disease getting all over money, nobody using paper money, coin shortage, use your debit card. They're slowly getting people towards digital. Nancy Pelosi tried to slip in a digital dollar in the first stimulus package. Republicans got it out. So this is another reason why the gold price is going up so much. Because once they go digital, they can tax you anytime they want and our financial freedom is gone. How can gold be a safe haven for everybody then now? It's time-tested immemorial of being a safe haven for thousands of years. I mean, cart out that old tagline because it just is. So um, if everybody piles into gold right now, all these Robin Hood... It's not big enough. market's not big enough for everybody to pile into gold. <laughs> so, but if everyone tries to pile into gold, will most people do well and let the money work for them like you and I are doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... So what's the downside? <laughs> At this point, I mean, two years ago, there's plenty of obvious downside, not for you, down- not for me, but for all the people who wouldn't touch gold, all the funds that wouldn't touch gold, the down- all the brokers that wouldn't touch gold. <laughs> the downside is most of our freedoms are gone and we can't spend it on anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're really not buying anything right. but food right now. Right. We're doing so well in this sector, finally, for the first time. You know, we worked our butts off in honing our skills and to be in the right place to take advantage of what's going on. And I can't go out and spend it. (laughs) There's nowhere to go. Can't fly anywhere. Can't fly anywhere. Why do you need to buy new clothes? Can't go to concerts. No. Can't go to countries. Can't go to the bar. Can't go to the bar. (laughs) 
You can come over here if you want. <laughs> Throw dollar bills off your balcony. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> That's very interesting. I used to say often, because there was a time where I thought gold had no business being at $1,800. I felt it should be at 1300 It could even go down to 900 It went down to 1000 1050 or something 1050, like that. Yeah. So I was off by about 150 bucks, And I said, at the end of the day, you cannot eat gold. That's right. You cannot eat it. It doesn't serve any purpose in life. It is money. <laughs> it's money. It is money, but you're not going to be able to give somebody a gold round and have them give you change and to be able to buy anything. And I thought, well, if it ever gets to four or $5,000, we're going to be in so much crap as a country. And as, a loaf of bread's going to be 20 bucks. So what's the <laughs> point? But yet here we are and we're making money in gold and a lot more people are going to be making money in gold. So that's just going to feel good to us. Like we're playing some video game and we get fake I money. I was right. <laughs> David, what companies do you like right now? Well, I'll give you a silver company. Okay. They're in the sweet spot right now. Mm -hmm. They've done all the right things to get where they are right now. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're called, I'm sure you're very familiar with them, Alexco Resources. Absolutely. Up in the Yukon. Um, right. They've kept their share structure tight during this whole thing. They've kept their high-grade silver in the ground. Mm-hmm. They had an environmental business that they sold just at the right time to help fund to go into production. Uh, Q4 of this year, they finally got their water license from the Yukon Water Board they've been waiting for for two years. The property is now fully permitted till 2037. The property's only been 12% explored. It's huge. I flew over it. I've been over there. It's yeah, huge. You, you saw it too. It's huge. It's huge. They've got one of the highest grade silver mines in the world. And they're about to go into production in Q4 now that the silver price has a strong $20 floor. It's trading at $27 here. And their all-in cost of production, I think, is like 11 12 bucks. They do have a silver stream on it that they've worked down a little bit with wheat and precious metals. They're about to go into production, and they're in the sweet spot. Because, like I said, all their competitors have been mining their silver and losing money while their high-grade silver has remained in the ground and they're going to start production in Q4. So mine life for another 15 years, 20 years? Well, they're also proving up more silver. They've oh. got so much silver there at Keno Hill, Ellis, that they actually built their mill on top of a silver deposit accidentally. <laughs> And they don't care. <laughs> and they don't care. <laughs> oh, he cares. I always give Clinton, I'm going to CEO, a hard time about it. He always looks at me and just goes, ah, I hate it when you bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's great people, great company. and They're plus, right next to a big road there. There's right. no infrastructure no, issue. Right, no infrastructure None. issue in the Yukon. And another big plus is they have an Amex listing, big board listing in the U.S. What are they is, trading at now? I think they're about 250 right around there. Very and impressive. they've broken out of a huge base, and the chart looks very, very sexy. Is that ever going to be a 10 dollar stock, $15 stock again, day. We're again, not saying when. You mean again? It we got oh. to $11 oh, in, in, in 2008. What? Oh, I forgot about that. In 2011. Okay. 2011 it got to it. Yeah, I did okay. really well with it back then. And I think it's a $20 stock eventually. What do you think about Victoria Gold over there? They've done a great job of de-risking that mine, putting it into production. I never got into it because it had too many shares. John should have rolled back that share structure during the bear market Does when, that no, matter when, now? when nobody would have cared. Well, they did it later. They did it later. They're doing well. But the other thing that bothered me was Kinross at one point owned 17 or 18% of the stock, and they've been diluted down to like 7 or 8%. They didn't take part in one finance. And they've got Fort Knox up there, which is the same type of mine. I figured they would be the natural takeover company to, to take it over. So I thought that was a red flag. But the company's doing well. What do I know? Who else do you like in the Yukon? Oh, 
in the Yukon. I like white gold. I'm not a shareholder. I was in the past. You and I go see that project together. Probably not, but I was on. Not the, together, but we've Sean. seen it separately. Yeah, Sean Ryan. <laughs> I love talking to Sean. <laughs> he loves talking about mushrooms more than he does. I know he's a them. former mushroom <laughs> farmer, and then he's he's responsible for really a lot that's happening in the Yukon. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a silver company. Mm-hmm. By the mm-hmm. way, you can subscribe to your website. We'll get into that at the end of this broadcast and learn everything about what David is doing. But give us an insight into who you like right now with regard to a gold company. A gold company. Let's see. Which one should I pick? <laughs> just pick one you want to talk about. We'll leave the rest for your subscribers or new subscribers. Okay. Yeah, I like Liberty Gold a lot. I like the management team, Oxygen Capital Group. The market cap's gotten up there. I think it's around 400 million, something like that. But Marco Day's pretty savvy. Marco Day's pretty savvy. The project is fantastic. And they've got another project, Gold Strike Project, which they can sell at some point to help fund Black Pine. But Black Pine looks like a monster. And you're not an investor? Yes, I am. Oh, you are? I okay. own the stock. I do own you own stock. Pure Gold? Yes. No, I do not. Why not? I did in the past. I, I did really well with it in, the, in this 2016 run up. Mm-hmm. Another one, you know, but Oxygen Capital Group, they always pull it off. They have these big share structures. It doesn't bother them and they always do well, but it does limit the upside. So I got out of it and I never got back into it because they kept diluting and diluting and diluting. And when they financed the mine, they did a finance I really didn't like. They did a finance with a warrant to finance the mine, which I was like, oh, I don't like that. So. But again, what do I know? The stock's tripled since I got out of it. And they're going into production, supposedly. (laughs) And they're going into production. I mean, that's a big takeover target. What's your ideal structure? Oh, my ideal structure. Okay, my ideal structure is, it all depends on what kind of company you're talking about. If you're talking about a developer that's de-risking a project, my ideal structure More brownfield? Yeah, more brownfield. More brownfield, right, right. Low CapEx project. Mm Mm-hmm. Less than 150 million shares out, mm-hmm. a strong shareholder base, mm-hmm. small retail float of maybe 35, 40%, mm-hmm. and blue sky at the property, and a U.S. listing. Got to have the U.S. listing now. Yeah. So that we can just... Uh, so Robin Hooders can get into it. Exactly. On E-Trade. Simple. Right. Exactly. It doesn't work really in any other way, yeah, right? I hope to God that these companies that I hold that don't have big board listings but have the capital to do it, because it is expensive, they need to be doing it. They need to be moving toward that direction. There's just not that many juniors on the big board. And you really need Americans to get in. Absolutely. Canada is a great company, but we're 10 times the population. Canadians on their own can't support a real bull market for any particular company if they don't have a U.S. list. Right. And this TSX keeps making draconian rules to make it more and more difficult for us to get into private placements. Yeah, it's hard for us to get rid of our certs once we have them. <laughs> Getting the legend removed. True. Yeah, I mean, it's almost impossible. You're a Canadian, now. you wait four months and a day. If you're a U.S. investor, and if you have a have sold legend as opposed to a will sell legend, you got to sell the whole thing to get the legend removed. And you don't want to do that. <laughs> no, absolutely. David, tell us about your website. Oh, sure. It's juniorminerjunkie.com with a Y. I started it in April 2017. It's completely transparent. I've mentioned this before. I tell all my subscribers what I do at all times before I do it. And there's a record of all my trades, warts and all. It's basically a we're all in this together newsletter where I give them a heads up before I buy something and we all buy it at the same time. I also write a column for Kitco every week on Friday at kitco.com. And that's it. David, thanks so much for coming out to Malibu. Finally, I'm glad you're here. Come back someday. Thanks for having me. Anytime. I've been speaking with David Erfley. His website is juniorminingjunkie.com. Find the Yellow Smart Report on your favorite podcast app, the Voice America Business Channel, 
and daily on Money Talk Radio all over South Florida. I'm Ellis Martin. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form. I'm Ellis Martin. Riggs Eckleberry is the CEO of Origin Clear, a public company in the U.S. trading under the symbol OCLN. Water is the new gold. Origin Clear leads the self-reliant water revolution, democratizing water investment by developing a marketplace to connect investors with water projects and commercializing modular, prefabricated, filter-free advanced systems for faster sanitation worldwide. Riggs, welcome to the program. Ellis, it's such a pleasure, and I'm really glad I'm actually in Florida, which is a great place to be into 2020, I think. I'm also on the coast, on the left coast right now, in front of the Pacific Ocean, and I see a lot of water everywhere. Water is all over this planet. So when you say water is the new gold and there's a finite amount of gold on the planet, how does that equate? First of all, Midas learned that you can't live with gold. So water is better in a way because you can actually use it to survive. So it's gold in the sense that it's scarce and getting scarcer because of pollution, because the water industry is not doing its job really. It's only treating one fifth of the sewage in the world. Think about that. And so water as an asset is really an important one. And you kind of wonder, well, why can't people invest in water? Well, the fact is that you could, but it was through Wall Street with municipal bonds and so forth, and also with big companies. But investing in actual water equipment has not been possible until the advent of small is beautiful, water being treated right at the place where it's being used, so therefore investable. And that is a whole new generation of of investing. And the good thing about water is it's never had a crash. It's not likely to have a crash. People aren't going to use less water for any reason. They're only going to use more. So all in all, water is new gold. It is, I believe, a new investing class. Okay, I understand that. And that makes sense. And while you were talking, I was computing in my mind a way of investing in water, like a water ETF. Can you buy water and hold on to it and hope that it will grow in value in the future? Well, right now, conventionally, you can only invest in what's called big water, meaning the municipals. The problem is, is since 1960, when the last big building boom of water, large, hyper, huge water systems wrapped up, there's been very little investment in water systems and maintenance costs have grown. Just like you've got your old Toyota Celica that keeps costing more every year and you don't replace it, but you keep paying more in maintenance. That's the water industry. And it's essentially a static industry. Look at Fort Lauderdale, for example, endless sewage breaks. Why? Because of underinvestment in central water treatment. Now, go ahead, spend billions on central water systems, maybe, but nobody's doing it. So instead, what you do is you make the businesses at the edge treat their own water. And that's what's happening already. Municipal water districts all over the country are telling businesses, not you, the consumer, you can only give me treated water. And so all of a sudden, the problem is thrown off on Intel's chip fabrication facility or on an animal farm in Wisconsin or even home users in Miami-Dade County. So everything's being pushed onto the user. And that's a trend you see, frankly, in everything. Technology, mainframes went to computers, telephone went to personal phones, energy went to solar. So all these trends of going to the edge is happening now in water. It's transforming the water landscape, but you don't yet have the investable small water system marketplace. I don't think people have fully realized it yet. And that's where Origin Clear is a leader. Well, you're a leader and you've certainly done well with it as long as you've been in business, but you still have a lot of education to provide for those of us investors out there that are interested in a new opportunity, but don't quite understand how to get involved. That's a very good point. And that's why, in addition to our conventional business, 
which by the way is doing very well. And I can comment on that separately because COVID catch up, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we're doing well as a conventional water business. But we also have a new initiative, which I've been talking to you about, which is how to enable people to invest in water. And what we've learned is that there's a huge amount of pent up demand out in America and the world for careers. People have lost jobs. Look at people who have closed their restaurant forever or who used to have an Uber business and don't. And people in services who were not smart enough maybe to start an Amazon business are in trouble, okay? And they're looking frantically right now, right now in August for careers. When we launched our pool preserver, which is a trailerable system to recycle the water in a pool every six months or whatever, which every pool owner has to do sooner or later, we realized that we got a huge amount of leads, half of which were, yeah, I want to buy it. Great. We know how to do that. And the other half was, I want to do this. Teach me how. And we suddenly realized, wait a minute, we have water as a career already. The water industry is experiencing what's called a silver tsunami, meaning that 3 million conventional water jobs in municipals are retiring. And those 3 million jobs over the next decade will have to be replaced. But in addition, there's all these opportunities to put in place entrepreneurial business opportunity type activities. And so now we're looking at water as a career. Let's imagine that I have this machine called a pool preserver and I want to sell it. But if I give it to somebody as part of a biz op, right? Classic entrepreneurial biz op. Then I can teach them how to succeed. I can essentially charge more for the machine. In fact, the cost of the machine disappears in the overall package and it is highly profitable to me. The person who's getting a career is grateful. They're good with it. They're fine. It's like I pay extra for the Burger King franchise, but guess what? There's people come to buy burgers. So that's, I'm good with that. And the investor who helps us buy that machine also gets a wonderful yield. Now, when I say gets, it's still prospective. I have to tell you right now that people investing in water equipment is regulated. So we're being very careful in that area. And for now, we've been doing the financing ourselves. We will be inviting select investors in to invest in these water systems, but it will have to be done with proper legal framework. So I want to make it very clear that today you cannot invest in our water equipment as an investment offer. It's regulated and we don't want to make that offer today. However, that's coming because we're developing all that, that whole regulatory aspect. And meanwhile, you can invest in the company that's building this essentially Airbnb for water where we're putting entrepreneurs into business. I have a, let's say hypothetically, it's true, I won't mention his name. I have a spa guy here. He comes here once a week here in Malibu. I imagine Florida and Southern California are great markets for the technology you intend on employing. Am I right? We're getting leads from Oregon. I mean, it's all over the place. Okay, so it's everywhere. So my pool guy comes over and he's servicing all kinds of pools everywhere. And I want to tell him about this. And what if he comes back at me and says, well, I don't think I can afford that kind of system. And how does it work? What are you telling people this early on when we're not necessarily rolling out the device yet? Oh, well, first of all, as you say, people can buy the device, but perhaps they don't know how to make money with it, right? Well, first of all, we have a successful field pilot in Phoenix, Arizona, where we have put an entrepreneur into a machine. This entrepreneur, Ryan Kustra, is making excellent money. And our own 
consultant in Phoenix, Dwight Barber, who is helping him technically. And Ryan is just a good small businessman and he went ahead and got a bunch of jobs. We plan to do more of that. So we're going to help you learn how to sell these pool preserver jobs, which is basically like this. I pull my pool preserver up to the front door. I plug the round trip tubes into your pool and I walk away. At the end of the day, I come back, reel in all the pipes and your pool is crystal clear and clean. That's six to $800 that you made by not being there. So it's a very successful business model for someone who's spending the rest of his day cleaning pools. And by the way, it gets that pool cleaner into the backyard because 60% of all pool owners clean their own pools. And you'd like to be able to get in there and say, hey, by the way, for $50 a month or $100 a month, whatever it is, I'll take care of your pool too. So it's an upsell for the existing pool cleaning business. It's a profitable business that does not require you to be on site except for picking up and dropping off. And it's something that compared to the cost of the unit, has very high profit for the operator. So it's a win-win for everyone. So I know nothing about cleaning pools and I want 10 of these devices because I'd like to make $6,000, $8,000 a day. How do you stage up for that kind of demand? Well, let's get you started with one, right? So okay. um, you're going to go to Pool Preserver University. This is something we're creating right now in real time. Okay. Pool Preserver University will teach you how to do it. We'll get you a machine and, oh, you want another machine? Boom. You want another machine? Boom. Not a problem. It's like people building McDonald's franchises, build as many as you want, but make sure you can digest what you get, right? We're not going to like, all of a sudden, McDonald's is not going to give you 10 locations, right? They'll let you buy into one and, and you kind of build it over time. We don't want you to get overbalanced here, right? Get your eyes bigger than your ability to digest. So we'll help you get into the business. I think you know, anybody who's listening to your show knows the value of what's called BizOp. Once upon a time, there was these money shows. You could go to money shows and you could walk down the aisle and you could do, I don't know, vacuum cleaner franchises, whatever. This is not a franchise. It's a BizOp, which means we'll put you into it. You'll get a, a financed way to get your machine, which is not dependent on your credit it's because we can take the machine back. So it's okay. We're not too worried about your ability to pay for that machine. You'll get the machine. You'll put it to work. And we will help you, not just the technical side, but also with the online marketing, which is so brilliant these days. So somebody coming out, he or she had a small restaurant down the street, Peruvian restaurant, great food, great seafood dish. It's gone, unfortunately. That's the truth. It's not going to come back. Fine. You decide to go in the water industry. We already know that you're a good entrepreneur. You just got shafted by COVID. We'll help you get into it. These are valuable people who can do wonderful things for public health in America and the world today. That's the brilliance of it. I've been doing a lot of chatting on my program about reimagining careers at the age of 45, 55, I'm 65. And when you've been completely wiped out by a financial crisis and COVID, what do you do other than hold your head in your hands? Seems like you're providing a solution for anybody that's able to really think and work and run a business. It's very true. And in fact, we have a partnership with a group that does similar things in real estate where they put people into houses that they could never buy. These are basically, they, they recycle foreclosed houses, clean them up and put people into it who are willing to then rehab them. And they have hundreds of families in this and they would love to give these families a career opportunity. So they're referring the families over. So it helps them pay the mortgage. It's a nice virtuous circle, as we say, where people get a career and they also get to take care of their other obligations. So we have other networks like this real estate network, which is on the Inc. 500. They love what we're doing. We're going to get all these relationships where another one is a nonprofit that is trying to put people into careers. And they went, wow, this is great. 
hook us in. So we're not going to have a problem getting people wanting careers, not an issue. There's going to be huge oversupply. And it's not going to be a problem figuring out how to online market because that's become a very workable technology. My good friend, Manuel Suarez, who's an advisor to the company and the Facebook ninja, as they call him, ManuelSuarez.com. He's brilliant. He's fantastic. He would love to help us develop a curriculum. So we have the ability to create curricula. We have the ability to find people. We have great machines. We have good careers. The pro formas are all there. You go to originclear.com slash pool preserver, and there's the pro formas. So it's something that is going well. Now, could we do 12 of them like animal farms and this and that and the other thing? Yes, but we'd like to do one really well. So right now we're spinning up pool preserver as a career pilot. We want it to do really well. We want it to show great numbers. We want the performance to be good. And then we'll start replicating. And we can end up with literally over time, hundreds, thousands of people with new careers, getting machines from us, paying us service fees, and also the investors helping to finance these once we have that regulatory side handled, making very good double digit yields. All in all, it's very good for us as a public company. OCLN will do well because remember, our conventional side of our business is quietly doing really, really well. Purchasing agents all over the country are waking up from their lockdown and going, I've got to use it before I lose it. And that's a separate story. So you're not going to use the public vehicle to raise money per se, although I wouldn't rule that out, neither would you. You're going to use this investor platform that you've more or less perfected to bring in income to stage up and also put these machines in the hands of potential business owners that don't have the money to buy them on their own. And that's not the business model to begin with. We have the capital to fund some of these, but it's not scalable. It's very inefficient to sell stock to then finance equipment, right? So it's better to use people that can invest to help us develop the platform. But long-term, we really want to create that investor's marketplace. And like I say, an Airbnb for water where people can become entrepreneurs and the funding, look at Airbnb, right? First, there was Airbnb, which people invested in and made lots of money and still are. Okay, great. Second, there's the people who are the essentially the financiers, which are the landlords that then the entrepreneurs build little micro hotel chains with. So there's really multiple parties. We can replicate that in water and be an Airbnb for water. That's, I don't want to stretch it too much, but it's the same kind of entrepreneurial community, you might say. Have you done any revenue projections? I'm sure you have on the potential business out there and what Origin Clear could tend to take in over the next one to five years. Yes, but we're not disclosing that just yet because okay. I've been taught as a CEO, report on what you did. <laughs> Perfect. I'm okay with that. I'll give you an example of what's happening right now in our conventional business. Literally between Wednesday and Friday of last week, our Texas division received $1.5 million in quoting opportunities. This is a division that does a million dollars a quarter. And in three days, they received bid opportunities of $1.5 million. So now I'm not saying these are going to turn into business. There's always that fall off, whatever. But we have a tremendous growth going on because I think we are going to see from people who have managed to survive COVID, which we have, the much vaunted V-shaped recovery is on its way and we're feeling it right now. What's the best way to get started right now if you'd like more information? Very simple. I do a weekly briefing every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Just go to originclear.com slash CEO, oc.gold slash CEO also does it. And so what you do is you listen to my briefings, you decide if you like it. And you can then eventually talk to one of our business development people. You can put some money into the company. 
You can invest in the stock directly. It's up to you. And eventually you will be interested in investing in these pieces of water equipment as we roll it out, as we scale up beyond our own means. And that it would be great to have a group of friendly investors. Remember that Origin Clear has been in business for over a decade. We have 10,000 plus shareholders. We have 500 plus accredited investors who've invested in the company. So we have a good community of strongholders. These people like Riggs, you're doing the Lord's work. Keep going. Don't stop. And that is what we'd like you to join. We have an amazing, you've met Ken Berenger on this show. He is available anytime. Just type oc.gold slash Ken. You're in his calendar. But I don't want to push people to talk to somebody about investing, quote unquote. Show up in the briefing. Lurk for a few weeks. Listen. Decide if we make sense, if we're consistent. Hear from the conventional side of our business, as well as the new. Decide whether we are the water company for the new economy, as I keep claiming. And then we'd love to have you on board in our investor community. Riggs, it's always great to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Ellis, always a pleasure and happy to keep talking to your great audience. I've been speaking with Riggs Eckleberry, the CEO of Origin Clear, trading in the U.S. as OCLN. Water is the new gold. Become more informed right now. Go to oc.gold forward slash CEO. That's oc.gold forward slash CEO. For Origin Clear and the Ellis Martin Report, I'm Ellis Martin. We also exist in podcast form. Find us on TuneIn Radio, iTunes, or try your favorite podcast app. High quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with the President and Chief Science Officer of Zicha Genesis Medicine, Dr. Jack Jacobs. Strokes, heart attacks, diabetes, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, brain injuries. These are just some of the major afflictions that have affected someone that we know or have known, people close to us. It's inescapable in this thing that we call life. Most often we lose these family members or friends. And again, many of them survive to live out a slow death or debilitation. Quoting from the company's website, zgm.care, Zhitya Genesis Medicine's drug development has led them to a possible treatment for those diseases and more, growing new blood vessels in the human body, a process referred to as angiogenesis. FGF-1 is a potent growth factor with just that ability. By growing new blood vessels in the human body, Zhitya believes that FGF-1 could reverse the root causes of those diseases. Jack, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be back, Ellis. For those of our listeners that are hearing the Zitcha story for the very first time, give us an overview of the company. Sure, Ellis. We are a biotechnology company. We're headquartered in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we are developing a biological drug that we all have in our own bodies. It's a natural growth factor called FGF1, and this is a remarkable protein. What its main job in our body is to stimulate the growth of new blood vessels only in damaged tissues. So it doesn't do much in healthy tissues, but if you cut yourself, FGF1 is released and it grows new blood vessels. So there are over 75 human diseases that result from a lack of blood flow, and some are obvious, 
Like if you block your coronary arteries, you're going to develop heart disease. And we've used our drug in clinical trials, FDA-authorized clinical trials, to grow new blood vessels in the hearts of patients suffering from coronary artery disease. But more recently, this is in our work, but work from a number of academic labs around the world, have indicated if you have a lack of blood flow in certain areas of your brain, you can develop neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. And this discoveries came about because of kind of new imaging technology. So you can actually look in the brain very accurately and sensitively and look at blood flow, regional blood flow in different areas of the brain. And what researchers found is that in these diseases, such as Alzheimer's, you have lack of blood flow in the memory parts of your brain. And in Parkinson's disease, this imaging technology led to the discovery that in the area affected by Parkinson's, which is kind of deep in our midbrain, there's a lack of blood flow there. It's about 50% of normal. So having a drug that can grow new blood vessels and maybe restore blood flow in the brain, we think it's really worth a shot in clinical trials. And I can talk about, we have some nice animal data that shows in animal models of Parkinson's disease, our drug uh, works very well. How prevalent is Parkinson's disease in the human population? Well, about a million Americans now suffer from Parkinson's. I believe worldwide it's maybe 10 million. So it's a disease that older people get. I'd say the average age of someone with Parkinson's is in their 60s. Although younger people can get it, it's not as prevalent there. And there are medications that can treat the beginning stages of the disease. They kind of replace what's missing. Dopamine is a chemical that's missing in this disease. But after, I'd say, five years or so, the drugs kind of lose their effectiveness and people really start developing the motor disorders, the tremors, the gait, the walking disturbances that are seen in this disease. Is it possible that your technology can potentially reverse Parkinson's in patients? Yes, that's why we're so excited about this technology that we're developing because in animals, there are two main models of Parkinson's, one in rats and one actually in primates, monkeys. And in both those models, we found that our drug was kind of reversing the root cause of Parkinson's disease, which is kind of the death and dysfunction of what are called dopamine-producing neurons. These are the neurons in your brain that really affect movement. And when they start the dysfunction, you get all the classical symptoms of Parkinson's, including the tremors and the movement disorders. So in those animal models, we can look in the brains of those animals, and in both rats and monkeys, we actually regenerated brand new functional dopamine-producing neurons, and the animals regained about 85% of their normal movement, where untreated animals got down to about 10% of their normal movement. So yeah, we basically reversed this in animals, so that's why we're very excited to bring this into the clinic. Can you potentially reverse advanced cases of Parkinson's in humans? We hope we can. That will have to be tested in the clinical trials. We're going to start off treating mild and moderate cases. Certainly, if it looks like it's doing something there, we would try it in the more advanced cases. And those people are very desperate to have any new medicines that may help them. So certainly we would like to treat all forms of Parkinson's. If we can regrow these dopamine producing neurons in the brain, it should work for all different levels of severity of the disease. Are there certain gene markers that might predict that someone may get Parkinson's and then you can use your technology in a sense almost preventatively, or do you have to actually have the symptoms of the disease to get treatment? Yeah, there are certain genetic markers of Parkinson's. I think about 10% of Parkinson's is due to genetic causes. And, you know, they have genes named like Parkin and things like that, which could predict perhaps a disease onset. Again, our technology, our growth factor works to restore, to regenerate damaged tissue. So we probably could not prevent 
Parkinson's, but we certainly could treat Parkinson's if it was due to a genetic cause because those patients suffer the same loss of the neurons that we can regenerate, hopefully regenerated people, the same ones that we regenerated in animals. So I guess the long-winded answer to your question is we don't feel we can prevent Parkinson's, but we hopefully can treat it. Is there anything toxic about the treatment at all? You know, we look very carefully at that, and we've had this growth factor in human studies in the heart. It was also studies of wound healing, and we look very carefully. We're not growing blood vessels outside of the intended target. Say in the heart, we look in the eyes. We did a lot of looking at the retinas. You don't want any new blood vessel growth there because that could be dangerous. You don't want your kidneys being clogged up with new vessels. So we look carefully at that, and so far, this has been in over 100 individuals. We've seen no no, uh, toxic effects of our drug. So you're actually targeting specific parts of the body, in this case the brain, for treatment and other body areas are not essentially affected as far as you know. Yeah, it's actually part of the technology. We found that the way the drug works is that it binds to what's called a receptor, a receptor for FGF1, and that gets very elevated in damaged tissues. So in damaged tissues, such let's say in the heart where there's heart disease, so think about a lock and a key. So the key is our FGF1, lock is the receptor, and they fit into each other to cause the growth of new blood vessels. So in damaged tissues, there's about 10,000 of these receptors or locks per cell, where in normal tissue, there's only about 100. So this great upregulation of our FGF1 receptor actually causes our drug to concentrate in areas where it's needed, where there's damage. And really, it has very little effect on normal tissues. It's a very nice mechanism whereby we can limit its effectiveness to the areas where it's needed in the body. Where are you at with clinical trials during what has been a crazy year with a pandemic going on around the world? Yeah, yeah, it's been crazy. We're given approval to start in Mexico, and we have a very nice hospital down in Monterey, modern, talented neurologist there, and we were set to go, but then it was shut down. And Mexico, as you know, is not doing real well at the moment. In Europe, Estonia, we're being reviewed. They're opening up now for clinical trials. And in the U.S., our FDA has asked us to do one additional animal study before we go into people, and we're doing that at the moment. So we are ready to go in Mexico, almost ready to go in Estonia, and probably six to nine months away from starting up in the United States. What is the main reason that you're purveying this message to our listening audience? What is the action point here? Well, people with Parkinson's disease, we hope we can give them some hope that there may be a treatment on the horizon because Parkinson's, it's inexorable. They do okay for a while on these dopamine replacing drugs, but then there's really nothing. There's really nothing. So we can just give people some hope and make them aware of what might be coming down the pike. And also we give talks to Parkinson disease support groups and stress to them things that we've learned, like exercising is very important. If you have Parkinson's, that can actually increase blood flow to the brain and actually help with the symptoms and things of that nature. So we've gotten to know this community very well, and they're really lovely people. They're very vocal, and they're very serious about supporting new therapies. Dr. Jack Jacobs, it's always great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Okay, always a pleasure to talk with you. I've been speaking with Dr. Jack Jacobs, the President and Chief Science Officer of Jicha Genesis Medicine. Find Jicha on the web at zgm.care. That's zgm.care. I'm Ellis Martin. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form.
I'm Ellis Martin. Joining me now for a conversation with producer, bassist, and musician, Ermin Skip Harris. Welcome to another edition of the Ellis Martin Report. Here at the Malibu Studios, you can hear two things outside the Pacific Ocean and cars going up and down Pacific Coast Highway. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Ermin Skip Harris. Skip, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Ellis. It's a pleasure to be here. We met probably about, I don't know, seven years ago, maybe. We met as musicians. I admired your work. Yes. I admired your work. I found your work online somewhere. (laughs) Brother Tough Love was your band, right? That's correct. And I thought it was pretty much, I don't know how to describe that music, but it had a nice sort of hard edge, beachy beat to it. Kind of a rocky, beachy beat with some strong lyrics and a lot of passion. I liked your Egyptology that you used and your your symbolism was really amazing. Cool. So I meekly texted you through one of the social media things. It might have been MySpace or something lame like that back then. And I said, hi, Skip. It's me, Ellis Martin. <laughs> and I really love your music, and, and I hope I can play with you sometime. Because I'm a keyboard player, right? Right, right, you know, right. And here's some of my music. Here's some of the sounds I've made before. You know, Let me know if you want to get together. Maybe we can jam or, or write some songs together. Right, right, right. I, 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 wow. <laughs> you know, and it's so funny because, you know, even though we met that way, we remember Hero, the guitar player. Oh yeah, 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 the we, Japanese we, yeah, dude. We oh, had, we all, we all, yeah, we all had like it, it's it's funny. But how I knew him already. Did yeah, I, yeah, you I already did. knew Hero. I don't remember how I met yeah, Hero. Yeah, yeah, but oh, we, I jammed with him with some of the guys. Okay, you know, and and, and, and there you go, man. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. Like your guitar player was our guitar player. Yeah, and now he's off in Japan. He's back in Japan. He's back, back in I, Japan. I sent him an email the other day. He's doing great. He's doing and, great. And you helped me. I purchased, was it his gear I purchased? I think so. No, no, no. That was from the studio from my other friend who was also Who was also Japan. Japanese, right? Japanese, Went back yeah, to, yeah, okay, yeah. I, I have a lot of good gear from it, you. I, well, you're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Including some, some new DJ gear I've never unboxed. Uh, well, It's still know, new. It's never too And new. it's probably eight years old. Yeah. I'm not going back to that profession. I've done, I probably have 15,000 hours as a, as a sure. party DJ sure. and a club DJ. I'm done. Yeah. I'm not that guy anymore. Yeah, yeah. Are there any clubs anymore? Are there, are there going to be any? You know, I mean, you know. Do you want to get around all those diseased people anyway? Uh, I mean, in general. Did you ever like it? You know. It's okay I, to be behind the scenes. It's okay to be on stage in front of the people. But sure. to be in the crowd? Yeah, well, no. I, I look at it like this. I, I, I've been in the crowd a couple times in my life, and I, I didn't like them then. So I assume that if I did it again, I'm not going to like them, you know later so it doesn't matter you do you know? think musicians are a little bit people claustrophobic we'd rather be on stage separated from everybody we're actually introverts in real life and we, we really get our mojo out when we're in front of people move in a room and we want to be left the blank alone i've heard that theory because you know you always hear you know people describe other musicians and they would always give you like he's very shy he doesn't talk much. He doesn't be shy, but you know, he'll throw on the glitter jacket, get on stage in front of millions of people to, to seek the, you know, the, the the attention of thousands of people a night. Well, we've all and, seen it, and right? And I wonder, well, how can you? What what are you shy about? I never could understand what you know what what people could be definitely shy about. Maybe that's their level of communication and what they're trying to express, and they don't know how to express it, say in a, you know, conversation at the grocery store if they meet up. 
Most musicians that I know talk way more than I do. You know, all the musicians I know are very quiet people, especially the guitar players, which I always found kind of odd. You know, not really odd, but I always kind of judge that like, if the guitar player is quiet, he's probably a really good guitar player because he's so focused on his uh, instrument. You know? I completely agree with you, having yeah. worked with plenty of guitarists and occasionally playing guitar myself, even with keyboards. Mm-hmm. When I'm not talking, I have to talk for a living. Mm-hmm. This is my job. Sure. What we're doing now is actually my job, although this isn't work, what you and I are doing today. No. We're just hanging out. Sure. Okay? But if you're wearing your musician hat, and I've got mm-hmm. several of them, mm-hmm. if you're wearing your musician hat when you're not playing, you're thinking about what you're going to play. The music is just coursing through you, mm-hmm. and you're trying to really figure out how you're going to lay that out but what you do as a musician is you stop thinking about it mm-hmm. you pick up that instrument and just play it that's your hmm. way of communication yeah basically basically i mean every time that i play no matter what venue i think the goal for me personally is you want to touch people you know i mean you want to reach people in such a way that you can um, invoke some level of change you know, in their life. And hopefully some semblance of existence, you know, you want to make it matter to them. You want just that moment to know that if you're in that moment, you can create something that's magical to never be created again. Are you thinking about that before you pick up your bass and play with people? Mm, no, I'm just but taking... just what happens. No, I'm just taking a couple of rips of, uh, you know, and I'll just sit there and I just try to look inward. You know, recently I went to a Killers concert before everything shut down with a good friend of mine. Hello, Eric. And it was weird because I hadn't been to a concert in a long time. And as I was standing in the audience, when they played their hit, all the cell phones go up in the air. Well, what happened to just, you know, putting your hands by your side, hanging with your friend, holding your beer, and just watching the show and enjoying the music and dancing? When did everything have the need to just to constantly repeat itself? And how old are you? Old enough. <laughs> See, those days are gone. They're gone. They're, They're completely gone. gone. As soon as you pop out of the... Uh, yeah. The womb. I, you know, I tried to explain to my son, you know, there was a time when people went to concerts and they just really just went there for the sole fact that listen to the music and just party and dance and be well, Nobody free. brought cameras. Well, you brought cameras, but you just snapped one picture. <laughs> and then you had to, you know, get send the film off somewhere to, you know, get it taken care of. I think you just want to really share. People want to do is to share. And we've all done it now. We use our sure. phones mm-hmm. and we share moments. Sure. In a way, it's sort of a braggadocio. Mm-hmm. Look where I am. Look mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. See mm-hmm. me having this great time. Right. This I is, have a lot of great time. This is a section of my life and this is the really great time that I wanted to show you so I can somehow feel prove better. to you and feel better that I'm having a good time and I want you to see my good time because this is a moment that you know I just have to share with you. I'll tell you this. <laughs> when are musicians going to start holding phones and back at the and audience? playing at the same time? I don't know, but it's coming. It's coming. I watch musicians on stage nowadays, and being in IT myself, you know, I love technology, but I don't really see when I see a musician get on stage and let, if they're not by themselves and they have a laptop there, I'm like, why? I mean, they, they break down so often. It's really not something that I can see. They need to make better instruments or something that can like replace that. But it's always weird. To you mean keyboard players, right? Or Yeah, keyboard players, I kind of <coughs> get it. But I see keyboard players with it. I see drummers with it. I've seen a couple guitar players, you know, with their laptops. And I think it's for sound. You know, they're trying to bring up a, a preset or something. I don't know. You can do that on a laptop while you're playing? I have no idea. I never used one. Other than to record into because you just, the old days are gone. Well, you know, I am a senior citizen technically now, so uh, I don't... And it's so funny because if you say 
to the current musician that you know it really was better then then you do sound old but the reality of it is in, in my heart of hearts i just really think there were certain aspects of music that were just better then and it's indicated by the fact that more live music venues are closing venues that are open you have to be on superstar status to play less people take time out of their day to like go oh, what you know what i'm breaking away from my work life or whatever's going on with school or work with the kids and i'm gonna go to this show and i think that experience has somehow been lost maybe now people can just oh best band in the world is having a show i'll just stream it on my laptop or i'll just put it on the tv and i think you miss something with that i think you miss there's a sense of community that gets lost there's a sense of the energy's you know, gone the energy's gone I, I, as a musician and i don't want to sound like i'm complaining about it or back when i was a kid you know no but as a musician there's two different kinds of energy that you get it's all sort of the same but you mm-hmm. get the energy with your fellow players mm-hmm. if there's just four or five of us in a room right and nobody around and right. we're making amazing music we right. feel the high we get yes. the buzz. Yes. However, yes. stick us in front of a room full yeah. of people, any size, any size venue. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if it's thirty or thirty thousand. Right. That energy riffing back and forth between the mm-hmm. players on stage and the audience is something you don't even know right. when you're starting out as a musician, when you're a right. kid. You right. don't even know what's coming, but that's the real buzz that is the real high and that's why we still do it right but we live in a world where everybody's moving so fast nobody has time that world is dead yeah. now. the concerts they're gone right right so the bands will never get the feel of what it's like to right. play a live aid right. or uh, you know to, it, it, to be exactly. in front of queen exactly at that moment at that moment with half a million people it, it was a moment it was a moment those moments it, are gone those moments are gone and they and they were even back then, tied to certain political changes or natural disasters, there was like the whole live, like you said, live aid. You know, people were actually speaking to an issue, putting song and, 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 and melody yeah. to an issue and coming together. Exactly. And enjoying taking in the essence of life. Now it's like, I'm going to go here, I'm going to hold up my phone, I'm going to take a few selfies. It's all me. Everything is just all about me now. But you're not even going to those. When are concerts going to come back? We don't know. I want to be hopeful. I want to be hopeful that there can be tectonic shift <laughs> in thinking that people will trust their fellow man to be able to stand beside him. And if he steps on your foot and he didn't mean to, <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, and you, you, you can just say, hey, man, you can, he'll look at you in the eye. You look at him in the eye. He'll say, hey, my bad. Sorry. Oh, I was just having fun. You know, I look, I look forward to the day where people can just get in a circle and I mean, just rip around and run wild and crazy and swing their arms everywhere and jump up and down without even hurting one another. Well, drum circles are against the law now, aren't they? Oh, man. <laughs> you don't see that happening you can't, in you can't, you, can't, you can't even be a you know, stoned-out hippie on the beach anymore. <laughs> what, 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 what happened there? You know? It's like, good God. I mean, what do we think about this? When, when did we get to a point in this country where sitting around a, a campfire, beating on some skins... Making noise and chanting and yelling and sharing a beer. When did that become, where have we gone at, well, we have to really ask ourselves and have a, a come to, not only is it, can't everybody can't have a come to Jesus moment, can they? I can't, you know. Just have a moment where, just stop, pause. We're, we're human. We're only here for a little while. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't, none of this matters to the extent that what am I trying to get at here? I'm trying to say that no matter what you do, no matter what I do, 
there's going to come a time where we're not going to be here anymore. Could be any moment. It could be any moment, any time. Just knowing that, put that to the side. And don't focus so hard on it. Okay? You can't put that to the side. You have to own that you have and to. put everything else to the side. You have to. Not only do you have to own that, but you have to. Yeah, well, you know, I agree. You, you do have to own it. But own it, put it to the side, and then go do something else. I think right now with everything, and everybody knows, we're not going to get into it. But everybody knows what's going on out there. Everything. Everybody we knows. Need, we don't need to get into it. We don't need to get into it. We're not so going to add to that. We're not going to add to that. To any right? of that. There's no point. We're Everybody not, else is doing it. Okay. We don't need to add we to don't, it. We don't need to add to that. Perfect. But, but when do people, I'm going to make it really basic and simple. Okay. When do people just decide to stand next to one another and just realize that, you know what? Whether you like it or not, this is not going to work unless we do stand side by side. I mean, literally and figuratively. None of this is going to work unless we stand side by side. We were so... The kind of people that have imposed these, I'll say it, have imposed for all intents and purposes oh, social go. distancing, here which is go. another word for martial law. They come from the free love, from the hippie movement, from the radical movement of the 60s. They're in power now, and mm-hmm. they're the ones that are enforcing this cancel everything culture and stay away from me. I believe that as technology has progressed and brought us greater access to everything. It's driven us apart. It's driven us apart. It's driven us farther (laughs) apart. We have allowed, unknowingly, this trade-off in our need as humans to know and to understand and to connect. We traded that off for this intrusion upon our privacy. This intrusion on, on who we are, this intrusion on what we can be. Oh, there you go. Now you're wearing the tin hat. Well, I just think we've allowed ourselves to become afraid. What's going on real? Yeah. Okay, what's Fear going on? Fear is a driver of everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Fear is necessary, not in my world, not in your world, but sure. it's necessary for the powers be, sure. for the powers that be to control for their agenda, whatever there's that no, is. There's no doubt about that. And if anybody, no matter what side of any spectrum, political spectrum you're on, doesn't understand that, you're being disingenuous not only to yourself, but to other people as well. And we have to understand that we've gotten to this point in this country where everything has to be catered to you. Your news has to be catered to you. What you believe has to be catered to but you. But it's not. The news is diatribe. The news is propaganda. The news is based on it's how catered to- often I can get revenue dollars in. Okay. It's predicated on that. Okay. If I can keep LA Times, since we're here in beautiful LA, it's a beautiful day today. And, and Ellis, let me thank you for inviting me on your show. You're welcome. For, you know, let me thank you for inviting me. I, I really can make appreciate it. it and... Um, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I've known you for, uh, like you said, almost seven years. Ever since, yeah. Almost since I've been in LA. You're a real dude, man. And, oh, I, and I appreciate you. Thank you. You know, um, Likewise. But uh, I think we've come to this point where it's like people just are just scared. And I get it. And I, and I, and I have sympathy for, for people who are scared. I've never been really a fearful person. So I, I, don't really, I don't really get scared. And I guess when you come up the way that I did, it's like there's only so many things you, know, you can get scared about until you have to really just face it. And looking in the eye, what would happen? Let me ask this question, and then we can get off the subject because I, I know you know I don't want to talk about the virus. What would happen if everybody just took off their masks and just got together? What scenario can you envision? You don't want to hear my answer. Will, will the hospitals fill up? Will people just be dying in the street? Will we throwing lie over the people and burying millions and millions of people? What do people view as the scenario? Process. This is what we're trying to avoid. Yes, we are trying to avoid that type of travesty. I believe, and we should. 
I think we're at the point where we truly can't think for ourselves. Whoa. That's my answer. Whoa. We're there. Whoa. We're having this conversation, number one, which means we're distressed. It's on our minds. It's on our minds. We're not talking about anything else. We can't talk about anything else. <laughs> we're stuck talking about this. We're stuck talking about this. Okay? <laughs> and that's why. And after a long pause, which I've edited out. Because I, I do a lot. After a long pause, if you notice, there's no... Skip asked me a question about half an hour ago. And I took half an hour to answer it. And I edited out that pause. Okay? Because... The only thing, the only answer I came up with, we can no longer think for ourselves, which we're trying to do, but to what end? If everything, if you're not allowed to go out of your house without a mask and you can't touch people, you can't hold people, you can't do a damn thing, why do I, and you know where I live, it's nice here, I'm a 65-year-old man, I earned this, okay? You earned it, baby. <laughs> why, do I need to, why do I need to go anywhere at all? I don't. I just have to make sure my food comes. Oh, I, I just have to make man. sure I have a, a, a clean house, uh-huh. you know, enough toilet paper, uh-huh. and, and, and you can come over. We're sitting about five feet away from each other. We're, the we're, doors are open. Yeah, yeah. You know, dude, 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 wait, wait. you got to edit out the five feet. Dude, not, Gavin Newsom listens to not, this podcast. That's not getting edited out. And no, he does not they're, they're, listening. They are coming down. He is gelling his hair right now. <laughs> <laughs> is everything at the cool at the winery that was open on July Fourth? Is everything okay? The guy's winery was open on July Fourth, right? Know all about but he closed it. your restaurant. See, those are talking See? points. We are talking the talking See? points. I mean, so are we? I, I, yeah, listen, listen. Where'd I, you hear that? Where did you hear that? Did it, you read it's, it's it? An did an, you it's an actual. It's a, it's a fact. You heard it though. It's, it's verified. And you read it. Saw it. You read it. It is a fact. I know a fact too. You know why I know the fact? I read it. Yeah. So it's part of my news flow. Yeah. So, yeah. so we can't get out of this. It's ah. all of this is in our head. We can get back to talking about music, which is sure. how we started. And we're going to go back. We we're no, going we're back. Always Folks, be we're back. going back. We're coming back yeah. to this because we can't help ourselves, right? <laughs> Got to get back. Oh, well, what's man. the resolution? Are we just airing out our angst to do I that? don't know what you're doing, but I was trying to save the world. That's what I was doing. I was trying to, like, you know. We'll do it then. Listen to me, everyone out there in the Ellis Martin Report. Listen to me right now. I want you to go outside to your window. I want you to open up your window. Outside of your window? No, go outside. <laughs> yeah. Before you go outside. Go outside and look through a window. Look through a window. Somebody else's window. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Come back inside now. Now go to your window before, open it. before you get arrested. Open it. Open it. Okay. And just look outside and say, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my answer. That's it. That's it. Hmm. Yeah. That's all you got? <sighs> that's all that's needed. <laughs> I don't know, man. We've come to this inflection point in human history where we were driven here. We were driven here, here by a want and a need for cheap product. Oh, okay. True. Everything was shipped off to first Japan, then China, China, and China, and Mexico, and then Mexico, and it'll move on to say Greek, Indonesia. Greek took us here. To some extent, and our inability to manage our employees at the federal government, the people that we pay money to, to make certain decisions that are beneficial to society as a whole. And so what's happened is these two philosophical points. There are people who say what's beneficial to society is just jobs, 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 jobs. And there's other people who say what's beneficial to society is, is health care and this, that and the other. 
the reality of it is is that we've always paid for it and we and somehow we've allowed ourselves to be bamboozled tricked into believing that you know people will tell us you got to have a strong military yeah you do but for what and yes the world is big and yes the world is complex you know it's far more complex than you and i probably both realize i was thinking about that today i was listening to a report Mm -hmm. on the radio Mm -hmm. about how turkey had bought some russian anti-aircraft equipment and they were testing it out Mm -hmm. on f-16s and this was all sanctioned by the Russian government. Mm-hmm. And this was part of a deal to placate Russia after Turkey shut down one of Russia's jets over Syria. Ah, okay, okay. And then I was thinking to myself, mm-hmm. well, they don't have our best technology, the F-35. And then I'm thinking mm-hmm. about all the military that we've got staged around the world. Yeah. Is it united to fight some alien that's coming to get us or arm us? What do we have it for? Well, It's to really... To protect ourselves mm-hmm. and kill each other should we need to. Now, I'm an American patriot, right? Sure. And, and sure. I own certain things that are lethal. Yeah. And you do as well. Hot sauce. Hot sauce. I've yes. got plenty of lethal killer <laughs> hot, sauce. hot sauce. And I can poison somebody if I want to anytime I want. Or at least give them the run. <laughs> He's got some yeah. real New Mexico pozole, and he's not eating it. No, 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 no. Here's what I'm going to do. No, he, he, no I, I listen. No, you I, can't talk and eat at I, the same time. I, I know, I know. But You're we're, proving I'm going to take one spoonful to prove to people you can't be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> See, folks, Nobody saw the comedy because this is radio, and it's <laughs> not. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> Photograph you doing that again. Yeah, one more time. Here so I could put that on the internet. Okay. Hold on. Okay, here we Let's, go. I'll let you know when. Okay, okay we're not ready yet. All right. I'm going to do a video get, on this. Let me get some of these garbanzos. I think these are garbanzo beans. Okay, go ahead. Okay, here we go. I want to I wanna make, make sure I just have garbanzo beans because, uh, you know, for our vegetarian listener. Here we go. Let's, wow. Let's see the okay. face. Ready? Yeah. Ready? Here we go. Now look at me. Come on. <laughs> now I'll get on the microphone. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. oh! Mm. <laughs> this is gonna be the. Oh, mm. <laughs> God! Right, that was. Uh, Dude, I, I'm gonna hate to see those pictures. Uh, anyway, back to music. Are we ever gonna get back to where we were before musically? I think we're gonna have to because if, as our government calls for smaller sizes of customers in various venues and restaurants and the like, I think. It's incumbent upon the musician now more so than ever to take control of their own careers, to take control of their agency. And they're going to have to like get out there. The good part about this, they're going to have to hustle just like the good old days. They're going to have to set up a house party, jam, invite people over. I've done all that for yes. August, for mm-hmm. the middle of August, and nobody wants to come right now. Yeah, yeah right now. And I'm talking right to musicians. Now. Right now. Musicians are telling me, you yeah, know, I'm going mm-hmm. to sit this one out. I don't know if I'll be able to make it on sure, August 15th. Sure, sure, sure. Like... I was supposed to be here, but we couldn't because they canceled my bands. Well, well uh, look, it's open here. Uh, it's open air. It's, it's plenty of room. Don't have to have a big event, but musicians are just passing yeah. on it. When I saw ads like for the drive-in movies coming back. well, Drive-in concerts. For concerts and, and people driving with their cars to go see. I think that's cool. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. This was probably 1975. Mm, that's good. And I was at a Linda Ronstadt concert. Mm-hmm. And at that time, she was... The hottest of the hottest of touring mm-hmm. acts, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I swore to God I made eye contact with her, and she was giving me a look. I, hey, it happens. Those days are gone in this era. They are. And that's they a are. really special they moment are. for a fan. Sure. 
and for a musician. Sure. For a concert goer to be a part of, and and that's gone. Right. You know, I, I you know, if I can share a fan moment well with you, I met the Red Hot Chili Peppers backstage before they did a show in San Francisco. And Anthony, the singer, asked me if I had tickets to the show. I said, man, it's all sold out. I didn't get two tickets. So I said, he said, I don't worry about giving you a ticket. So he gave me a ticket to their San Francisco show. And then I said, well, you know, I, you know can, can, my, can my lady come? And then he wrote, skip plus one. So I actually drove to the Warfield Theater, right? Got to the window. You know, there was no internet. There was no email. There was no verification, no barcode. And I said, can I get a ticket for skip plus one? And the dude actually did it. You know what I'm saying? Where is that? And the only thing I, so I tell the wife, I say, yeah, you know, ah, I got these tickets. I got these tickets. And they're like, we're going to drive all the way up here on that belief alone. You make your living, in addition to being a producer, you're in the world of IT. Yes, sir. If you were a humble musician, which you are, and only relying on that for revenue, doing gigs, playing gigs, going mm-hmm. into the studio right. all over LA. Right. Your income would be severely, severely hampered right now, and it's not the kind of job where you can claim unemployment. That's correct. What's it like out there now? You you talk to musicians. Yeah, yeah, a lot of my brothers and sisters are hurting. You know, I mean, a lot of our musical family, I mean, it's no secret, but it's across the board in all industries. Like, say, for example, stand-up comedians are just hurting right now. Where do they go? Where do they play? How how do you do stand-up comedy if you're not in front of people? Think about that. Do I do I tell jokes? You can't even do that on Zoom. Right. Do I tell jokes and then I, I can you know listen to somebody laugh with a bad internet connection? We have to at some point just stop this nonsense. We're on the third floor. The third floor is on fire, and we have to say, are we going to stay here and burn? Because make no mistake about it. Right now, this country's burning. It's burning right now. It's burning. I've not heard anyone say that, but it's true. Definitely not going to talk about the protests, and I don't want to get into that. Fine. But it's burning in the sense that there's some part of our soul that's lost. And, there, and, you, and on two sides, you have people who are telling you that their outlook on life is what it is you should be focused on. And the reason a lot of people like myself really can't focus on either one is because this one is putting down the other one. You ever had that friend back in the day where, you know... He would always go in between all the friends and just tell you what the other friends said about you? Yeah, that sucks. You can't trust the mother, but at the end of the day, you can't trust this guy. No matter how good he is to you or whether or not he's never done anything to you, if you really look at it, you're not going to be able to trust this cat in the long run. And that's what we have with our, I don't even say political parties, but this divide that we have. And people have absorbed and internalized external things and align them with their belief systems. If you don't believe this, then you obviously can't do that. For example, is it possible for me to believe that COVID is real while simultaneously saying that marrying a mask is bull? Ask the mayor of Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. You thought I was asleep, huh? <laughs> he actually he actually listens to me. Oh Jesus! I mean, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Why can't it be both? Why are you so scared of both? Why? Because you should be doing this, and if you don't do this, then you don't care. You just don't care, man. You should be getting tracked on your phone. You should be giving all of your health information to the state. You know. Why? Why? Because you got to care. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, six months ago, nobody was caring about shit. There you go. Why now? 
last year, did we have all this that you were talking about? Was the country burning last year? No. Okay, so why now? I have an answer, but... Ah, don't that, go that means there we have to go people, there. How can we not go oh, there? Oh, don't go there. Then why there. bring it up? If we're not don't going there, then why? Well, you, you're dancing up. around the issue, and yet we're not going Mr. there. But, oh, but you're bringing this on. up. Yeah. See, you're the reason why I want to go there, but I don't want okay. to go there. Uh, yeah. I don't want to go there. Okay, let's go there, but let's spend three minutes on it. Go. Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, at the, I, I didn't realize how hilarious and fun this would be until, you know, I was, you know. You know when have you great. spent uh-huh. under three minutes on anything? Which goes back to my original point. You got to make every moment count. You know, and I think people are so scared because they realize they've been having their neck tilted at a 45 degree angle looking at their phone. And there's a, and this thing has come along and tapped people on the back of the head. It said, hey, buddy. Hey, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. And now they haven't been paying attention for so long. They're blindsided. They don't know what to do. We are just going in this country, in this world, from mm-hmm. one 10-year crisis to another 10-year crisis Whoa. to another to another generation after generation. Right. Well, I survived that. Right. Let me have some time to feel good and hang out and right. enjoy my friends and family before right. you fuck me up with whatever right. bullshit you got on right. your agenda. How eloquent of me. You have these events that somehow people can't party through <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah no let's stop the party right here right, the party's stop? done why, why, why do we gotta stop the? is it really like 2 a.m in america is it 159 is it 155 right now in america right now i mean seriously is it and let me tell you something i don't think so there's a level of cowardice in all of this that really disturbs me. Well, I don't want to go anywhere anymore. I'm afraid to go any- anywhere anymore because I don't want to deal with people. That's the only reason I don't want to deal with any of the bullshit. That's, I do not want to have to wear the mask, even though I understand it's the law. You've got to wear the thing. Right. But I don't feel like it. It makes me uncomfortable. So, hey, how about if I stay home and don't wear a mask? I, 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 here's a question. What happens if you wear a mask, you get in trouble for not wearing a mask, and the police come, they <laughs> harass you? Because I, I almost got kicked out of Starbucks yesterday because oh. I was almost asked to leave because I walked in without my mask. We all would have looked at you. Even yeah, me as your friend. Yeah, if, I, yeah, if I didn't yeah. know you, I'd be, mm. I'm not trying to be an a-hole. I'm like making to, a statement by not wearing a mask well, or walking into a Starbucks. I like to run these little, my own little social experiments, you know, and collect, oh, was, and, and collect okay. my own so data. So it was a one-off. It was just a one-off. You know, so, so I'm, I'm standing in. The lady behind the counter goes, sir, sir, <laughs> sir. <laughs> three of them. I mean, three, sir. She, she, she doesn't understand by now. I think she got it at the third one that I'm, I'm really... Purposely ignoring her, right? She goes, Sir, could you please put on your mask? Sir, could you please put on your mask? Sir? So I look up and I go, uh, No. And I go back to my phone, you know, just see what you. Dude, I swear to God, I look back up again, the cashier's gone, right? She's freaking standing behind me with a box of masks. Sir? Sir, sir, if you don't put on a mask, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And I knew at that point, because I've seen enough videos, you know, you don't want to be in the trespassing phase. And damn it, I needed those two cappuccinos. You know, so I had to make a decision. Did you make a face before you? No, 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 no. But I, you know, so so I turned around. I get the mask from her. The mask falls to the ground. Ooh. And so I reach down. Ooh. I pick it up. And I hang it on one ear. (laughs) She goes, oh, sir. And she starts panicking. Oh, sir, I, I, I can give you another mask. I can, I can give you another mask. I'm like, oh, no, okay, this one's fine. 
So then when I walk up to the counter, I, you know, I say, can I have two? And, and after that, she, she goes back around the counter and she's there. You know, I, I wasn't holding anybody up. There were only five people in the store because that's all they allow. But anyway, she goes behind the counter. I pay for the cappuccinos. I just moved on about my day. I got my two cap, and, and as soon as they put my two cappuccinos in the tray and they called my name and took them, I took off the mask and I balled it up and I threw it in the garbage and I walked out. Am I wrong for this? Eh. Uh, but I just wanted to see, I just wanted to see like how are people react but am I selfish do I really hate your grandma do I really hate papa am I really that you know apparently I'm a I'm a I'm a just a callous cold individual am I really or am I just saying you know what this is bull this what we're doing right here is not solving anything okay so you've completely gone there you've gone there you went there it just doesn't solve it i mean if you took a high school biology class you know that putting this thing over your mouth why do people say well doctors wear masks of course they do they're in a sterile environment and they're trying not to have anything come out spit or anything else into an open wound okay he got it but do you really think that you breathing through that mask and smelling that bad tooth in your (laughs) mouth That you, that you can't go to the dentist for because you you're scared to go to the dentist because, hey, you might get COVID or whatever. Damn it, I said the word, didn't I? I promised I wouldn't say it, and I did. I'm I sorry. I found, that's okay. Everybody's saying it. We can't help but not say it. <sighs> we are ruined. There's no way out of this. Ah, come okay? on. But I think we're funnier with masks now. Don't you think? Oh, I think it's hilarious. Like I, I, I can I do. do more things. With, I wear gloves. Uh-huh. I have gloves in every vehicle that I have. I'm, right. I'm obsessive compulsive. Right. I've got a lot of guitars, keyboards, right. a lot of shoes, mm-hmm. a lot of whatever. It's like multiple cars. Mm-hmm. In each one of these cars, mm-hmm. I have a pair of gloves. Not just these I, I these cheap little throwaway gloves. Mm-hmm. I have gloves in every vehicle. Right. Okay. This really suits my. My Howie Mandel uh, germophobia, right? I met that guy too. It in San really Francisco. serves it yeah. because now yeah. when I get gas, right, I can put the gloves on, ah, and right. I can go out there and not touch mm-hmm. the gas tank, the gas pump thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. the credit card taker, right? Oh, you can't any of these things, right? And then I get back inside, and I carefully pull down. the gloves off. I put. The, I love that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wear the goddamn mask. Which I have to do mm-hmm. when I'm inside. Mm-hmm. If I'm yeah. outside, I'm not wearing a goddamn mask. What? People are doing it all over the place. What? Why? Why? Out what, what, of fear, what? I guess. Right. Fear that they may get this kind of treatment like, like you that, got like the that, other. Like that one little particle will just slip in and get you. Well, you know where you're going to get it? You know where you get people really get sick and die? Where's that? And they kill the grandmas? They go to the beach. <laughs> you see that beach out there? It's beautiful. That's man. where you get the COVID. Is that where you get the COVID? And, and you bring it back to the nursing home. And all that you get, you go out there and get all that pleasure and all that that beautiful the view COVID. of the thing. And then COVID gets you. you then you COVID visit grandma you, on the you weekend. Come home and, and you fuck your grandma with that. Wow, wow. That's what happens. Oh man, you didn't know. I, I didn't know it was. I didn't. I th- That's you, why Governor. It was Governor a sunscreen. It was a sunscreen, Grandma. Uh-huh. That's why the governor doesn't want us having a good time on the racist Fourth of July holiday. Right. Right, you know, because we were, you know, because you know, we weren't really free. Okay, we got it. I got it. That's why. I that's got why, it. That's I, why we I, couldn't go to the beach over I, the weekend. I, I, cause, I got it. Because fuck the Fourth of July, man. I, think, think about this. <laughs> it's called Independence we Day. We went there, didn't we? Yeah, no, we did. We're here now. 
we're, we're rolling around in the mire and the muck. I'm looking at the hot tub that Gerald Busby died in. Well, <laughs> Nobody will ever know who he is or exactly. who I'm talking about. If somebody uh, died in my hot tub. Baby love, my baby love. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. I mean, it, who could cancel Independence Day? As an American. It was canceled. As an American. No fireworks. No fireworks. Take control. Don't go to the beach. No I'm, barbecues. Screw off. I, I, want, I, want to t- I, want, I want every American, stop, pause, take control of your own agency. Live your life. Go forward. Go forward. The 4th of July was canceled. How do you do that? How do you do that? I mean, how does done. one do that? It was done. How, do you, how does one do that? How, I, you know, not the 4th of July. And that's my birthday, by the way. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, happy belated birthday, man. Uh, yeah. Hey. How old? I I can't ask a lady that. I'm old enough to know better (laughs) and wise enough to not do it again. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I can't tell because you got a shaved head. We don't know how old you are. Well, you know. You're looking good. Whatever age you're at, you're looking good. I'm going to put a number on you right now. Okay. okay. 52. Uh, Well, you know. uh, uh, 38. When you're black, you got Aflac, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. None of my business. I can look it up on the internet. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I can, you, you, all my information is is out there. If you want to know who I am, just come to my Instagram profile at Brother Tough Love, and uh, you know visit. Or you can find me on Facebook at Brother Tough Love. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about my other band. Give a shout out to my other band, Kula. Hello, Liz. Hello, Mike. Hello, Ryan. And uh, much love and respect to you guys. Hope you're all doing well and safe. Skip, it's always great to see you. Thanks so much for coming out today. All right. Thank you, Elvis. It's a pleasure. I've been chatting with musician, producer, bassist, and my good friend, Skip Harris. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report by going to ellis.gold. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com Join us next time for more opportunities to discover on the Ellis Martin Report. Visit ellismartinreport.com.